Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. At the time we finished producing this episode, San Quentin State Prison reported that more than 500 men incarcerated there have the coronavirus. That's not even counting the guards who work there. Just in the last week, the numbers have multiplied, and advocates on the inside and outside say things are bound to get worse from here. The only way that we can curb this corona is they have to start releasing people and and get this overcrowdedness out of here. The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation has known for weeks that the confined conditions at San Quentin are dangerous, and it's a problem that can impact the whole Bay Area. Today, what happened at California's oldest correctional institution? I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to the Bay. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. I reached out to people in a Facebook group for people whose loved ones are incarcerated at San Quentin, looking to see if there was anyone who could tell me about how they were feeling, seeing what has been happening at San Quentin with the rise in cases. Kate Wolf is a reporter for KQED. She also volunteers in the prison as an editor for the San Quentin News. 
Vanessa Silva reached out to me and she uh, wanted to talk about her fiance Floyd, who has been inside for a little over a year and is serving a 25 year to life sentence. I mean, before we were, I mean, pretty uncomfortable, but at ease because there was no positive tests there and they were doing everything that they needed to be done, like giving them masks, you know, sanitizers, just like the basic stuff. She has been feeling really anxious. She's been sitting by her computer, I think, refreshing the COVID patient tracker that CDCR has set up. And she's just been refreshing it to see those numbers increase. And she's been really alarmed by that. So now it's a little different because now, you know, just the anxiety of are they safe? Are they, you know, how do they practice social distance? Uh, Do they have, you know proper, you know, PPE for them? Do they even care if, you know, they contract the virus? And then what is the protocol after that for them? When do we first learn that there are people in San Quentin who've tested positive for COVID-19? So we first learned of that on June 1st, which is two days after the transfer. So a lot of people suspect that this all happened because of an ill-fated transfer on May 30th. That transfer happened because the California Institution for Men has a lot of people who are older and medically vulnerable, and CDCR was told that they needed to transfer a good deal of these men out in order to quell the outbreak there. So, so it's basically like they were transferring people out of crowded prisons because of COVID into other crowded prisons? Exactly. Protesters say despite a massive outbreak at the men's prison in Chino, 121 prisoners were transferred to San Quentin without being tested. So after we hear about that first outbreak on June 1st, how do the numbers of positive COVID cases grow from there? The numbers kept increasing, but it was still people who had been transferred. And then June 11th, we were told that 16 people who had been transferred um, had gotten sick. And then the numbers just kept increasing. June 17th, there were 46 cases. June 23rd, there were 365 cases. The day after, there were 445 cases. And then June 25th, um, sorry, I'm just looking at the tracker. So this is interesting. St. Quentin has just passed Chuckawalla Valley State Prison, and now it's at 497. Doing a transfer like this sounds like it would be really tricky. You know, you'd have to take a lot of precautions to do it just right. What did prison authorities know about the men who were being transferred to San Quentin from a prison where COVID-19 had already broken out? So the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation has not been very forthcoming with information. The CDCR has said that everyone was tested and screened prior to being transferred, but by omission, that the CDCR didn't mention that some of these people had been tested a month before being transferred instead of just days as, as would have been assumed. One attorney that I talked to said it was like trying to save elderly people from a burning building. What is sad and ironic is that without having tested them properly, by making that transfer, you're starting the fire at St. Quentin. 
Once they're transferred to San Quentin, how did prison authorities ensure that those who were sick were isolated from everybody else? The information that has come out about the isolation is definitely worrying. CDCR has said that prisoners were immediately tested upon arrival at San Quentin and were isolated. They're brought to a building called South Block, and South Block has multiple floors. They're put on the top floors, uh, and the people who have previously been in San Quentin are housed below them. Why that's important is because it's possible that coughs and, and droplets from people who were sick could go down to the next floor. You're saying like we're hearing reports, and I don't think it's coming from CDCR. How do we know all this? I mean, if, if they get rid of all this overcrowding, it wouldn't be so bad. Incarcerated people who are inside San Quentin can still communicate with the outside world. Um, communication is definitely limited, but we are hearing from them what conditions look like inside. The only way that we can curb this corona is they have to start releasing people and, and get this overcrowdedness out of here, you know? Brian Acey is a man serving a life sentence at San Quentin. They spend more time on trying to keep these people in here and lock them up. When some people go home in six months or seven months, they can let those people go. He works at the Media Lab. I know him. And he's been communicating about the conditions inside. A lot of elderly people, yeah. I guess they so much on punishing and, and, and trying to get all the time out of people. And, you know, they can, some of these, some of the, most of the people, a lot of people in here have mental cases. They shouldn't be in prison. Let's go back to Vanessa and her fiancé, Floyd, who is incarcerated in a different cell block than where the outbreak started. Is he concerned at all? I think Vanessa and Floyd had been communicating about how well things were going, and then there was a lot of fear when this transfer had happened. When Vanessa talked to him last weekend, we hadn't confirmed that it had reached the general population, and now we know that it has reached the general population. At least one case has been confirmed uh, to be in North Block. Like right now, we're trying to be hopeful and stay positive. Um, just overall, um, you know, and I think for him, he's like, you know, he's in that position, but he's just trying to bring me at peace. Uh, but I just worry because I mean, God forbid he does. And then like, what happens after that? You know, they're not going to be given probably the best medical treatment or whatever they need to to help, you know, fight the virus. I mean, I think what's really important to mention here is that like, Correctional officers, they move in various other parts of the prison. So if someone, you know, is guarding people or is doing their duty in South Block, which is where a lot of these cases have been clustered, they probably will do a shift in East Block. If the virus has reached the general population, the public health experts that I've talked to say it is assured that it is going to spread like wildfire in other parts of the prison. And so it's not just spreading among inmates, right? It's spreading among the guards and staff. Yes, at least 47 members of staff uh, have tested positive. How does San Quentin then protect the people who both already have COVID and those like Floyd who are now at risk of getting it? Do they have masks, sanitizer? Do they even have enough space to distance? 
they they definitely do not have enough space to distance. To give you an idea of how small the cells are, uh, men are two to a cell, and if a man is standing in a cell uh, and puts both of his arms up, he can touch both sides. CDCR has said that they have given people masks, um, but we're hearing from people on the inside that guards only sometimes wear the masks, that even nurses who are treating people are not wearing masks. What CDCR has done as well is convert the gym, for instance, into dorm living. But Juan Haynes, who's a reporter uh, with the San Quentin News and has been reporting from the inside about conditions for the appeal, he says that people are a foot away from each other on either side. What are people on the inside and people advocating on the outside saying about what's happening right now? Health experts at UC Berkeley and UCSF, they were raising the alarm that there were not enough places to isolate people safely and that people were uh, going to have to start isolating in their cells, which would be incredibly dangerous. They write in their memo that, um, that it is, quote, inconceivable that there are people who are over 60 who just have a few weeks left on their sentences who are still housed at St. Quentin. Today, activist prisoners and their families are demanding action to stop what they're calling a brewing public health crisis at San Quentin State Prison. In a virtual press conference today, activists said COVID-19 started rapidly spreading through prison walls last week. I think a lot of people want to believe that, that this transfer was done because they wanted to save people at the California Institution for Men. They did it poorly and they they did it clumsily and there are dire consequences now at St. Quentin. Kate says activists and inmates inside San Quentin are calling for the large-scale release of medically vulnerable people. The Ella Baker Center for Human Rights is also demanding ongoing testing for the entire prison population, regulation of prison staff to specific areas, and free hygiene products. While lawmakers and public health officials have held back on the demands for the large-scale release of inmates, a growing number are calling for the state to hold prison administrators accountable. Kate Wolf is a reporter for KQED. She also volunteers as an editor for the San Quentin News. Special thanks to Joanne Jennings, executive producer of World Affairs, for the tape that you heard with Brian Acey in this episode. The Bay was produced this week by Marisol Medina Cadena and Erica Cruz Guevara. Our editor is Alan Monticilio. KQED's leadership team is Jessica Placek, Erica Aguilar, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us. Take care of yourself, and we will talk to you next week. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.